We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, as we continue our sequential exposition of the Word of God during these days, hearing uh, the sermon that our Lord Jesus Christ himself preached, Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 33 through verse 37. If you found that place, listen as I read it and you're hearing, set it afresh in your mind as we prepare to exposit uh, these words from our Lord. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Telling the truth is the subject for this morning's message. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, pray that you give uh, power to your word. And may it come forth from the lips of your servant, weak, infallible, but use it to glorify your name, build up your people, accomplish your purpose and work in our hearts. We pray these things now in the blessed name of the preacher of preachers, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Telling the truth. You're probably familiar with the novelist George Orwell. He said this, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Followers of the one who said, I am the truth, ought to be in the forefront of the revolution. Lying, as you probably know, is common in our world. People don't tell the truth. It doesn't matter where they are, what their station in life, we find that lying is endemic. That is, it is common. Why is this? According to Psalm 58.3, all men are born liars. Let that sink in for a moment. The lone exception is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. All other people were conceived with a fallen nature. That nature is passed down from Adam. That nature corrupted us. It corrupts our heart. We're corrupted in the totality of our being. Therefore, man has an innate propensity for deception and dishonesty in speech. That moral weakness is compounded by the world's system of evil, this headed by none other than the father of lies, as Jesus called him in John chapter 8, verse 44. He, of course, is one who constantly perpetuates lies. He lies about God, lies about the church, lies about Christ, lies about the truth of heaven and hell. He lies constantly. He lies about everything that matters. And that system that he heads and all of his emissaries are, uh, is unremitting in its influence on unregenerate men unsaved men, and even redeemed ones. It influences them to dissemble, tell half-truth, shade the truth, exaggerate, embellish, all of that. Moreover, this reality about humanity demonstrates the need for righteousness. Wouldn't you agree? The righteousness that Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount, a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, as he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. The righteousness that is required 
for an individual to enter the kingdom of heaven. That need for righteousness is highlighted uh, and underscored with respect to vows and oaths, which we're looking at this morning. When we think of swearing under oath or making a vow, we think of someone who is going to tell the truth, don't we? They raise their right hand, perhaps, uh, or whatever, and they say, But that was not the case with oath takers in Jesus' day. Oaths or vows were used to practice deceit other than ensuring the fidelity to the truth of being truthful. Oath-taking then was perverted during our Lord's day, and that's what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. He is dealing with the prevalent reality that people took oaths, they swore under oath, but yet they lied. This is not to be so among his people. So our first heading relates to that is the perversion of oaths. Jesus' quotation here in verse 33 is not from a single verse of Scripture in the Old Testament, but seems to be a rabbinic paraphrase of a composite of three texts from the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.12, Numbers 30, verse 2, and Deuteronomy 23.21. So this paraphrase, Jesus uh, quotes them what they were saying and the people were aware of it they had heard it they had been taught it that's why he said you've heard the ancients were told you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord there are two words in this uh, verse verse 33 and they're from different but related you see it there in verse uh, 33 vows the first word there means to perjure oneself to lie under oath, swear falsely. Hence, the text, false vows. The second vow has the meaning to, of, to strengthen an affirmation. <laughs> strengthen an affirmation. Take a vow to uh, a buttress. Uh, the statement that one is making, oh, yes, yes, yes. It's true. But what's interesting here in this verse is but shall fulfill your vows, those three words, to the Lord. In the original text, the Greek text, those three words are in the emphatic position, which suggests that the rabbis taught that one must keep his commitment or vows to the Lord. You see, his name was involved. That was the reasoning. You swore in his name, so you need to keep that. Emphasize that. You made a vow to the Lord. You better keep that vow. Oaths, however, not made in his name. Jesus talks about that here in a little bit. Meant that one was not bound or obligated to keep it. If you made a vow not made in God's name, that vow for you... To keep it was optional. (laughs) That was a legal loophole for the dishonest. Such dishonest people could give the impression that they were binding themselves to whatever they swore or promised to someone. But in reality, they did not intend to do so. They didn't swear in God's name. You didn't swear in God's name. You didn't have to keep it. Deception. It was lying, pure and simple. 
An oath made and not made, not made in God's name, only appeared truthful, but was a means of falsehood, just as I said. That practice turned oath-taking on his head. (laughs) Now, the reality is here that the emphasis on uh, to the Lord, you got to keep that vow you made him, is uh, misplaced. Because all vows were to be kept. All vows. All oaths. In fact, Psalm 51, uh, excuse me, Psalm 15 Verse 1 says, who has access to God? Who may ascend to your holy hill? Who may worship and fellowship with you? Then there's a list of things that indicate who is, has access. In this verse 4 of Psalm 15, it says about the godly man, he swears to his hurt. It says he swears to his own hurt and does not change. The person who's going to fellowship with God, the person who is going to have access to God and worship is the one who swears an oath. He keeps his word. Even if it hurts him, costs him to do so. Doesn't change. That's the godly man. That's the view of the Old Testament. In fact, all godly people will keep their vows. That's a smart thing to keep your vow to God, wouldn't you say? It's the right thing to keep your vow, period. So that's the perversion of oaths. They use them to avoid keeping their promise. That's why Jesus quoted the the, uh, paraphrase. Next heading is the prohibition of deceptive oaths. We see this beginning in verse 34. Jesus says, but I say to you. (laughs) Asserting his divine authority, Jesus prohibits making an oath, swearing an oath. He says, but I say to you, make no oath at all. And that statement may appear to be Jesus saying, you shouldn't ever make an oath. You shouldn't ever swear an oath. But this is not an absolute uh, prohibition because we know from additional biblical revelation uh, that that's not really what Jesus meant. And we'll see that as it un- this text unfolds what he is getting at, right? Even in verse 34. But we need to understand right now at this point that Jesus doesn't mean this in an absolute sense that is, there are no exceptions to making an oath. How do we know that? I just said biblical revelation tells us number one, God made oaths did he not psalm 110 verse 1 god himself swore an oath but let's look at one of them if you'll keep your finger in hebrews and we'll see and bible readers you've read this text and now you're going to put it together with what we are discussing this morning from our lord and you'll see how it's not a blanket prohibition against all oaths. It's not a categorical prohibition. Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 17. See what God did. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the 
heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. God made an oath. You see it there? So that by two, verse 13, verse 18, two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set be for us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17, 18. God didn't make an oath because his veracity was questionable. God made an oath because men have a problem with lying. And they understand by, because of human nature, there is unreliability of human promises. So what God did to encourage men, he accommodated himself by taking an oath. So God himself took an oath. He can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. But he did it for the sake of men. To affirm, yes, what I promise in salvation and my promises will come to pass. I'll even take an oath to help you, to encourage you to take refuge. So Jesus couldn't have meant blanket oath. God the Father did. What about Jesus himself? He was put under oath. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 63. Y'all want to turn there too? Okay. <laughs> All right. I hear those pages turning. Um, that's uh, music to a pastor's ears. People want to say. Matthew chapter 26. That's where we look. Verse. Oh. How about 63? Now, our Lord Jesus is on trial. Remember the night of his uh, betrayal, the evening before his crucifixion. He is there as one of these uh, kangaroo courts. They had planned to put him to death. They were just trying to somehow justify it by their deception. And they were not above having false witnesses. Verse 60, by the way. My eye just landed on this. It says, they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. <laughs> but later on, two came forward. Finally found somebody to, to, to lie. But they misinterpreted our Lord's words in verse 61. Two of you men are liars. Are liars, right? Jesus would answer the high priest. Verse 63, they ask him to speak. They're testifying against you. Verse 63, but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Adjure, adjure. That means I charge you, I put you under oath to tell us. Jesus didn't say, uh, you shouldn't uh, make an oath. Jesus, he answered, said, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He was under oath. He didn't need to be under oath, but he had been placed under oath by the high priest and Jesus, who did not need to be placed under oath because he is the sinless Son of God. He is truth incarnate. He answered, 
under oath. So we can make some conclusions, I think. We can conclude that oath-taking is not inherently wrong. God provides it. Luke 19, 12, he provides for taking oaths in his name. So we're permitted to take oaths. If you're going to serve in some capacity in government, you swear an oath of office. If you go to court, I understand, you're sworn in under oath. You get married. Yeah, you make vows, right? <laughs> and you, you make it, you say, you're going to do what you claim other vows state. So these things show us uh, that Jesus is not making a blanket statement. So if you go to court and they ask you to swear or affirm, you're okay to do that. You say, but I'm a truth teller. They don't know that. <laughs> they don't know your character. So just do it. It's okay. You're not violating his word here. You say, well, why do you say that? I'm going to tell you why. What then Jesus does pro prohibit here, he prohibits hypocritical, deceptive oath-taking. That's what he's doing. When he says in this verse, verse 34, make no oath at all, that's what he is talking about. We see that as he, the verses unfold. Commentator William Hendrickson writes helpfully these words. What we have here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, is the condemnation of flippant, profane, uncalled for, and often hypocritical oaths used in order to spice daily conversation. Over against that evil, Jesus commends simple truthfulness in thought, word, and deed. That's what he is saying. Just be truthful. Not having the need of an oath in everyday life. You've heard people say this, I swear to God. Mm, really? Why do you have to do that? That leaves you suspect. Remember growing up, kids, you say, I crossed my heart and hope to die. A needle stuck in my eye. Men know that they have a proneness to lying and people not, do not believe them. Therefore, they have these oaths. But the believer is not to be like that. So the point here, Jesus is saying, don't make any oaths. He's talking about deceptive oaths. That's what he is saying. And he, let's look at what he further says here in verse 34. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, verse 35, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. See what Jesus is saying here, um, don't make deceptive oaths. You see, they said, uh, if it doesn't involve God's name, go ahead and say, I make this oath, I swear by heaven. I swear by earth. I swear by Jerusalem. 
all the while knowing, eh, I'm not going to keep it. Why would Jesus say, why do you draw those entities out and address it? I'll tell you why. Here it is. You need to understand the, the background. Jesus didn't just speak out of a vacuum. He was dealing with the realities of life in Jerusalem and Israel and Galilee and the whole of the nation. The Talmud, an oral tradition on Jewish law, expressly declared that oaths by heaven, earth, and Jerusalem do not bind a person to keep his oath at all. Wow. That's why our Lord is saying what it is. He knew what the Talmud said. He knew what the rabbis were teaching based on the Talmud, and he confronts it head on saying, um, that's wrong. This is unbiblical and untheological. It's a system created to, by men to perpetuate lying. They want an escape hatch. I don't know for sure, but I think that's why there's fine print a lot of times in contracts, right? So they can catch you. Oh, you didn't read it. Oh, that's okay. We ain't going to do it because he in the fine print. That's what men do. But as Jesus teaches in verses 34b through 35, this system was foolish. To say I'm going to swear by heaven or by um, the earth or Jerusalem involved God because all things are his creation. He's associated with all of them, those things. Swearing by those things is tantamount to swearing or making an oath by God himself. How do you say, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked. Y'all, you guys are so sharp. <laughs> you asked the right questions. Matthew 23. Zero in on verse 22. In case you were wondering. In case you're not convinced. I think I'll go ahead and uh, swear by heaven. I know what he did, but I don't know about all that. All right, verse 22 of Matthew 23. Look what it says. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the na the throne of God and by him who sits up on it. Could that not be more clear? One cannot escape the reality. In fact, in this passage of scripture in Matthew 23, Jesus excoriates the false leaders of Israel, those Pharisees, and they would teach this kind of thing and a whole host of other wicked things. And he pronounced woe upon them, divine judgment, and part of that judgment is coming because they would teach men to lie. 
Let me state it this way again, based on this verse and what Jesus said earlier in our text in Matthew 5. It is wicked and sinful to use anything of God's, whether his name or part of his creation as a witness to anything that is dishonest, deceitful, or false. Don't bring God into that. And I know, as sure as you know, that when people say, I swear to God, you know they're bringing God's name into something that they don't intend to keep. They're liars. Jesus excoriates people who do that. Pronounces judgment upon them. That's serious business. Would you not agree? Um, I forgot. Y'all are probably still in Matthew 23. I'm glad you are. Go to verse 16. <laughs> Look what Jesus says. He's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. Well, that's a pronunciation of judgment. Woe to you blind guides. Why, why he, he calls them blind is that they're ignorant of the truth. Who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. Nothing means you don't have to keep it. That's what it says. Verse 17, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? In their illogic, they would do and say foolish things. Blind guides. False teachers are blind guides, all of them, back in our Lord's day and even today. They're ignorant of the truth. Well, if you go back, if if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And in verse 36, the application becomes personal at this point in our Lord's um, sermon. Nor shall you make an oath by your head. For you cannot make one hair white or black. Let me give you some of the background here. A common assertion among Romans, Greeks, and Jews was that a man would stake his head. That is, he was willing to lose his head if what he vowed would prove to be untrue. The problem with that is his life didn't belong to him. It belonged to God. He was... Didn't have the right to do that. Jesus explains here further in verse 36. For you cannot make one hair white or black. I know what you're saying. Well, I, I have. I don't get it. I've dyed it. Yeah, but you know you, you that's superficial because those roots show up, right? <laughs> He's not talking about hair dye here. He's talking about the ability to grow a different color of your hair. You can't do that. The reason people's hair goes from as certain people who I won't name that you're probably looking at went from <laughs> black to what it is now it wasn't because I did that. It's an aging process. Aging process. 
And God is in control of that. He's in control of the course of our life. Jesus says, you don't make an oath by your head. Some have even thought it, it, it could include, I, I'll be decapitated if it doesn't prove true. It's not the way believers are to deal with the issue of truth. Notice verse 37 says here, another but. But let your statements be yes, yes, or no, no. Uh, This command, and it is a command from Jesus to us, is our words must be consistent with the truth. It doesn't matter wherever we are. Everyday conversation is to be truthful. That is to be routine for us. Our words should be so characterized by integrity that others need no formal assurance of their truthfulness in order to trust them. Our words are trustworthy. Christians just tell the truth. Whatever they say, whatever it's about, they're telling the truth. And when people used to say his word is his bond and all of that, it's the reason they could say is character behind it. Virtuous character should be our bond. If the character's there, the words will follow and they'll be true. If it's yes, you mean you say yes, it don't mean no. You say no, don't mean yes. So ordinary speech, everyday speech, truthful speech. Anything beyond these is of evil. Anything beyond yes and no. When you say yes, you mean no or no, and you mean yes, uh, that's of evil. Some suggest that the of evil here is saying it's coming from Satan. And there's some exegetical possibility for that. Others say just evil human beings in their evilness. Hmm. Well, whatever is evil, right? Jesus' standard is high, right? Isn't it? It's a high standard. It's to be truthful. We're to be truthful to people, telling truth all the time, every day, everywhere, uh, under every circumstance. Is this important? Yes, it is. A couple of things as I conclude. The Holy Spirit, he is omnipresent, right? Where can you go to flee from his spirit? Nowhere. He's with us everywhere. In fact, he indwells the believer. And he is called the spirit of truth. He sees and hears everything. He sees and hears every exaggeration, suggested lie, and all of that offends him. He's holy. Keep that in mind. You contemplate our Lord's words. We do not escape the omnipresent spirit of truth. Let me also share this. The gospel is truth. We're the people who proclaim the gospel of truth. Let's be people who speak the truth always. Let's pray.
Our Father and our God, we thank you for um, the realities that are pronounced here by our Lord. We thank you for truth, that which conforms to reality. We thank you that you've taken our lives and our tongues and you've changed us. May we be even more sensitive to being committed to veracity in every single conversation. Uh, we pray that you help us to stand out in this world where lying is commonplace, expected. May we be people who are utterly different from those surrounding us. That we may have a greater platform to share the gospel of truth with lost men and women. We pray you do these things um, for your own glory and for advancement of the gospel. And we pray it all in the name of Christ. Amen.